You're listening to the Hatha Yoga Podcast. I'm Laura Lang, yoga teacher and corporate lawyer. I help students and young professionals in the legal and corporate world ditch the hustle and overwhelm so they can become the kind, empathetic and self-aware professionals and leaders that this world so badly needs. You're working hard every day to qualify for a big responsibility, but you can't afford to sacrifice your health and well-being while building your dream career. Through the power of yoga and meditation, I will help you transition out of the hustle mentality and into a state of balance and ease so you can get the results you desire with your degree or career and create the work life of your dreams while treating yourself as the queen or king that you are. In this show, you can expect to learn everything you need to know about how to build a self-care practice that doesn't interfere with your career goals, but supports the journey. Each week, I will share tips, tools and techniques about how to thrive in the corporate and legal world based on everything I learned along the way after a decade in the legal industry and thousands of hours of personal yoga practice and studies. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Hatha Yoga Podcast. First of all, let me make a little disclaimer here. I am recording this introduction from a little bit of a closet and it's filled with um, cleaning supplies and extra milk and trash bags. I'm in a yoga retreat in Greece and the recording facilities are not optimal. I'm not in my home office, but don't worry, the interview that I have for you today it was recorded a long time ago while i was in my home office so the sound quality will definitely get better this week i have the honor of releasing the interview with whitney harvey the principal of the self-coach lawyer llc a company based out of phoenix arizona after successfully litigating for 12 years Whitney chose to step away from practicing law to focus instead on helping lawyers thrive professionally and personally. I've invited Whitney onto the podcast to talk about the lawyer identity phenomenon. And if you're like, uh, what does that mean? Then let me explain. A lot of aspiring lawyers are guilty of this trend and it starts pretty early on in law school. As soon as we get drawn into the world of law, we start to identify as law students or lawyers. It's almost like it becomes part of our identity and who we are just quickly fades into the background as we begin to introduce ourselves as law students or lawyers to those around us. In this episode, we explore why this happens and what we can do to connect back to other areas of our personality and identity so we can zoom out and remind ourselves that we are so much more than lawyers or whatever profession you're in. We have many other sides and identities to explore, but sometimes it feels like we need to hide it when we go to work. So what can we do to merge all these different personality traits together? This is what we will talk all about in this episode. But before I bring Whitney onto the show, I want to remind you that my very first online yoga program, Wind Down, is now available on demand to you. If you didn't know, Wind Down is the ultimate yoga program for aspiring lawyers and corporate professionals who want to change the way they treat themselves and ditch the hustle and overwhelm. Wind Down is a seven-day yoga program and it is for you if you want to stop wasting time pretending to look busy for the sake of FaceTime and start creating a daily routine that will help you perform better at work. You will also learn a method that is made for lawyers and corporate professionals by a fellow lawyer and you will learn how to drastically improve your life quality so that you can thrive in your professional life as well as your personal life. If this sounds like something for you, then go click the link in the description to this episode to get your wind down on. And I might just mention that this yoga program is recorded with video. So as opposed to what you're used to here in the podcast, in wind down, you can actually see me practicing on the screen with you. So it will be more accessible to you if you're completely new to yoga. I can't wait to see you inside and I will definitely be looking out for you. If you enjoy the show, then please, please, please do me a favor. Grab your phone right now and send a message with a link to this episode to your law or corporate bestie so we can get this valuable content in their ears. That would just mean so much to me and hopefully they will learn something super valuable from this episode just like you. Now let's welcome Whitney onto the show. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Whitney. I'm so excited to chat with you today. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me, Laura. This is it's always a pleasure talking with you. Yes, I enjoy it. it is. Me too. And before we get started, I want to ask you, what is one thing you did today to care for your health? Ooh, you know, I actually did not sleep that well last night. And so I just stayed in bed a little bit longer. I had planned on getting up, you know, maybe 45 minutes earlier. And I just took the time to just let my body rest. And then I, I got up and had a more accelerated, um, you know, getting ready time. But it was worth it. Totally. I get yeah. that. How about, the, How about you? How Well, I've had a long day already. It's it's late in the afternoon here, but um, I feel like I've done a lot of things. I try to throw in self-care <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I can in my day, even though it's been a work day today. So um, I've had it. my morning routine with uh, a longer meditation and mm -hmm. some reading and journaling, bit of yoga. I went for a walk in the sunshine. I had some good food. I mean, there are oh. so many things I could mention and the list goes on. I love this all throughout the day. That's fantastic. Yes. We need to find these little holes in the calendar where it's like, allow for self-care time. Absolutely. It makes all the difference in the world. I've, I've definitely noticed that each day. So thank you for the reminder. That's the challenge I will accept for today. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay, so um, for a bit more context, would you mind just telling the listeners a bit more about yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is Whitney Harvey. I am an attorney in Phoenix, Arizona, and I practiced for about 12 years doing mostly personal injury litigation. And um, I really, you know, Navigating civil litigation was very challenging for me because I, I, I tend to be a more harmonious person, believe it or not. And I ended up um, practicing in an area that many of you probably know is um, to me very grueling. And, uh, you know, people don't necessarily play nice with one another. And so um, just, you know, each day of practicing in that area, I, I noticed that I was really taking a toll on me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, just in feeling like it was so combative. It was, uh, you know, focused on wins and losses and um, not, not really staying connected to people on a human level. And, uh, you know, I would talk to colleagues and friends of mine and they kind of shared, you know, similar beliefs and, and similar um, concerns about the well-being of of lawyers and the profession and what we we're doing to really cultivate civility and just um, compassion. And I felt a call to really um, to act to do things more around the profession and make it better and to make um, make people be able to connect better and to feel better in the work that they're doing and be happier at the end of the day. Um, and so last uh, year, I started my own coaching business the self-coach lawyer, and it focuses on uh, career and executive level coaching for lawyers. And really, my um, my focus is on how lawyers can integrate more holistic approaches to the law, um, not only in how they treat themselves, you know, by having the self-care in place and really having more work-life balance, but also in the way that they approach the work that they're doing as problem solvers um, and really looking to be uh, and facilitate healing in the re resolution of disputes, not so much of the necessarily the the angst and the anger uh, and the things that are perpetuated in lit litigation. And I get sometimes, you know, they need to be, but just really taking a step back and looking at how can we take different approaches that really uh, achieve better outcomes for our clients. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that you just mentioned that thing around litigation in the end, because I've also talked about this earlier on the podcast, but every time I meet a litigation lawyer, I'm like, what made you choose that? Because just hearing the word <laughs> makes me nervous. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of times it's just, you know, kind of accidental. I didn't, I didn't know what insurance defense litigation was. I was, you know, in law school and got a firm um, job and I said, let's try this. And so I was representing insurance companies and I got pulled in in that way. And I, I learned what the practice entailed from just doing the work. And so 
with hindsight, I probably would have investigated a little bit more to just make sure it was in alignment um, with my, my personal values and missions. But at the end of the day, I learned so much. So I can't even say that I regret anything because I really did learn a lot being in that environment, as I'm sure you you can imagine as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you mention it because I I actually thought that I was the only one who kind of landed into my area of expertise within law kind of like by accident. But when I interviewed for a student assistant position with the law firm I worked at, they chose the department that I was going to interview with. It's not like I applied for a specific department. It was more like they looked at my resume and said, oh, you'll probably fit in well here over in commercial contracts. And I was like, "Okay, well, fine. (laughs) How interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting thing too to have someone pick it out for you you know um at the end of the day that is kind of the challenge of uh as students we don't really know what you know necessarily what law practice looks like and so we're just we're going with it and assuming it's going to all work out and you're gaining skills along the process but at the end of the day if you go too far and disconnect too much from your why that's where I think you can see a lot of the the burnout and the overwhelm and the lack of career satisfaction that I see with a lot of my coaching clients. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And um, I was curious because when I we we connected on Instagram initially and got to know each other, and I was always curious to understand where this name came from, the self coach lawyer. That's also the name of your business, right? Do Do you want to share that story? Yes, yes. you know, and so the. Honestly, I, I was I was really wanting to be intentional with selecting a name, and my motivation behind it was looking at how can we get people to integrate practicing more intuitively, like really integrating in intuition and discernment in the way that we do business and practice law. And I was initially thinking of the soul coach lawyer, and I think someone else might be using that term. So I was like, okay, well, what's that of soul? What's another word? And I came up with self. And that's really what it is. It's not saying that, you know, that I that people can navigate only on their own without any help. I don't believe that. I believe that we all could use help in identifying blind spots, opportunities for development, um, just areas where we could use a support system. But the self-coach lawyer specifically refers to that internal part of us, that inner wisdom that really we can tap into to navigate all aspects of life, but especially our career. And I just found that as I I kept practicing, as I got more comfortable with practicing later on, I started integrating more of that into the way that I did work. So if I had a particularly challenging case, you know, I would really try to just ask the universe, okay, I'm not getting the answers here. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? This is the case that keeps on giving in a bad way. Um, everything's going wrong, the judge hates us, the client hates me, you know, like just really taking a step back and saying, what is the most appropriate resolution for this case? Like literally asking myself and and me not getting caught up in the how, letting myself go to bed at night and saying, okay, this will be resolved. And I always found that the way that the case resolved or the issue resolved was in the best way that I couldn't have naturally you know, come up with as I was in that wheelhouse of, you know, spinning the wheels and really trying to figure it out and not allowing the space for clarity and reflection and messaging and the, you know, the the cues to really come in and kind of guide me. So um, it, I started having more fun when I started really listening to myself and making that final decision. Of course, you have to be well-versed and like do your research and all of that. But at the end of the day, so much of what we do is making a decision, just committing to something because the answers are not always spelled out for us. So yeah, that's I, how I came out with self-coach lawyer. <laughs> I love that you admit that. I think that is the first time I've ever spoken to a lawyer who actually admitted that sometimes they just don't know what to do and you got to let the universe guide you. Oh, yeah. Oh, such a relief and like a really beautiful example of how you can integrate some feminine energy into this very male dominated practice. And you always need to be like tough and dominating and go yeah. the way to find the answers. And this is a beautiful example of 
how we can just be a little bit more female in what we're doing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, we have that skill set. I believe everyone has that ability to be intuitive, but as women, it really is a superpower and we have access to it, I think, easily. And, you know, um, it's, it's much more easier, easier for us to access it than maybe for, for men. And so I, I look at it as a, as a skill set to be cultivated and really used. And I used to feel like it was too woo woo to mm. talk about it, but you're, but you're right. Every time I talk to a woman litigator and I mention that, I'm glad you brought up feminine energy and masculine energy. I hear so many women really say yes like I would love to practice more in that way I didn't know that other people felt that way and I think just even articulating it gets people thinking about this is exactly what we need more of we just don't talk about the the energy component in practice so I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up exactly and and that's such a Good topic to to come into what we're actually going to talk about on this episode today, because part of what we're going to talk about is this thing that we, I think we we call it lawyer identity, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think most of us are guilty of it. And it starts pretty early on in law school. As soon as we get drawn into this world of law, we start to identify as law students or lawyers mm -hmm. and um, I'm curious to know how did you experience this in in your own journey yeah so for me it was very interesting because I went to law school I so going back a little bit into my history I grew up with a single mom she had me as a teenager and so for her she really wanted me to have this professional um, identity and to subscribe to a career very early. You know, I remember being six or seven years old and it was like, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was very much a ongoing discussion about which career are you going to pick? And, and she really just wanted me to, she thought that that was thriving by, by picking a career that was kind of either a doctor, a lawyer, a chemist, you know, an engineer you know, that, that I would be set up for success. And she didn't want any, me to have any barriers to success. And so I really navigated my entire life. I, I picked law um, in part because one of my best friends, her dad was a judge. And I just, I love that family. I love that family unit. And I associated that lifestyle and that, you know, that love and care in, in that family unit to be associated with him being a judge. And so I chose the field of law. And I really, once I made that decision, everything else in my life, I felt like centered around that. So in high school, the extracurricular activities I was picking, it was, was law, getting into law school in mind. Um, you know, going to college, the major I picked, I, I was a criminal justice major, and I switched it the first semester to accounting because I thought that would help me stand out when I was applying to get into law school. Um, you know, I would have really rather probably stuck with criminal justice or English or journalism. So I picked even my major based on that. And so I end up going into this cycle, going into law school where, you know, you're completely immersed in, in being a lawyer and learning what a lawyer is and what they look like and how they act and how they talk. And coming out of law school, getting my first legal job, I just really realized in the first year, I don't really have a sense of who I am outside of this. I've been going, 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 always having milestones, you know, school, things to work towards. And when I was really just practicing after a year, I felt lost. I felt this almost identity crisis because it's like I'm in this field, I'm doing what I was supposed to be doing this whole time, what I've been working towards, but I don't feel necessarily fulfilled. I feel like, where do I go from here? I, I feel kind of stuck, you know, in some regards because of this investment and, and commitment. Um, and everyone's counting on me because it's been such a community uh, effort in seeing me through to college and law school. So, um, so for me, it did manifest as almost an identity crisis and feeling really lost in those early years of practice. I, I for sure felt this identity crisis myself, especially last year after I passed the bar. I had been in the 
like out practicing for a couple of years and then mm -hmm. you know finally reaching that goal or that milestone that you've set for yourself after for me I'd worked for it for nine or ten years to get there yeah. and it's like okay I reached it so now what <laughs> am <laughs> exactly. I just supposed to like enjoy the journey and like earn money or what and and you and you know I think for me it was like well the cases just keep on rolling into my outlook every morning I open up my my laptop and there'll be another 10 contracts I have to review it's not like you get a reward for like wow congratulations you, yeah. you reached the goal <laughs> and you will be rewarded with tons of legal documents to review <laughs> oh yes oh yes it's so true I I've talked about about that with colleagues of mine of you know what's the we question sometimes what's the benefit of getting caught up or you know um getting th through things so quickly because you might get a little bit of a break but then it's right back you're right back into it so it's that cyclical nature of what we do that it's gonna it's always we know that it's always on the other side even if we get a little bit of, of reprieve we know that we're you know gearing up for more to come so that can definitely be, you know, challenging. Sure. And and do you want to share a bit more about how your lawyer identity crisis manifested itself for you? <laughs> yeah. So I I think after I had, you know, it took me a while. It took me a few years to realize what was going on. At that time, I don't think I could really articulate why I was feeling so overwhelmed and um, worn out and feeling disconnected to the work I was doing because I really went into law school mission driven wanting to make a big impact and then you know I started working with insurance companies and I you know I was doing great work helping them but I didn't feel like I was having that human interaction that I really had craved and yearned for um, going into law school and so it took me some time to realize that it was the nature of the work that I was doing and that I could recraft um, the experience for myself by changing the way that I approached work. And so I really started by, and it wasn't popular at the time, this was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, I tried to have a day where I would work from home <laughs> at least once a week. Um, and it, it was, I'm gonna tell you, it was very difficult because it's not like today where it's very, it can be very widely accepted with a lot of law firms, but I was at a big firm and billable hours were high and that was not common. And so I really tried to guilty every time I did it, but I, it was important for me to just have my safe space to be at home and work. Um, and then, you know, versus going in and having that, that energy of being around competition and um, really a lack of, you know, diversity and just things that didn't really make me feel psychologically safe to work there Monday through Friday, you know, nine to six or whatever it looks like. And so I really try to carve that out for myself. And then eventually I switched work environments. I, you know, I started paying attention, talking to colleagues, seeing what they were doing, seeing the places they were working and um, the things that were working for them. And I realized that uh, a pure, you know, personal injury litigation practice was not the most conducive to the kind of work I wanted to do. So I went, you know, I explored a little, little bit. I went in-house, worked for a corporation for a couple of years. I, I went back into private practice, worked for smaller, more mid-sized, um, more boutique firms, and just really try to get to, okay, firms that are more in alignment with my values and my lifestyle. Um, and it took, it took years to really figure that out and navigate it. But the key was to just, do something, you know, by staying stuck and not taking any action out of fear. I and I get that. Um, you'll never know what's on the other side. So just just taking one step was the key for me. Yeah. And do you feel like you landed in a place where you could you could be both like both a lawyer, but also um honor the values that that were true for you? Yes, absolutely. Um the last firm I worked for uh, was actually uh, a firm based out of, out of California, and I was the only Arizona attorney. Um, and I just found that experience to be so rewarding. I was in a complete remote position, but felt so connected to the team. We had, you know, check-ins weekly. Um, 
the they had events where they really wanted to even remotely connect with us and um and really the way they ran the the firm which was unique to me was almost like a corporation instead of a firm so there wasn't any partners there was a ceo a coo um you had the individual lawyers doing their work and i i'll tell you that alleviated a lot of what we can see in some firm environments where there's kind of a blaming culture people are afraid to make mistakes people are afraid to provide feedback and people are afraid to be themselves and so that was not my experience at all in that last firm and it really got me thinking that there's you know different business models we can see uh, in the practice of law that can really help people show up more authentically and be more uh, feel more included in the work environments that they're in. For sure, that's that's so interesting. Did they also take out um, billable hours from the equation? Well, so we had a billable hour requirement, but it was extremely low. And that was really more, I think, for the company to assess like the, the hiring needs in the future if we need more lawyers or, or staffing. So it was extremely low and it had been newly implemented even when I started. So it was kind of one of those things they were experimenting with. And most, I think most people, most associates weren't even really meeting it. They knew their people were working. And at the, at the end of the day, I think the priority for billable um, was on the back burner because they saw that their employees, their associates, or, you know, the senior attorneys working, um, were getting the job done and were enjoying the work. And so this, um, you know, this metric was considered, but it wasn't the predominant factor, which I found to be refreshing. So you can really focus on working and not that that stress that's surrounding a lot of billable time. That sounds really healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Not having to waste a lot of time over there, like thinking about how many minutes did I spend writing this email? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think it, you know, it depends too on the clients you have. We were in a healthcare reimbursement space where it worked naturally. I think the, the, the challenge for like a personal injury or commercial litigation practice is figuring that out as well of, okay, you know, how can we really make this a different model work, um, in these contexts and just getting conversations around it. People, you know, decision makers being mindful of, you know, Know, the environments that are in the cultures that are being created where you have these extremely high billable hour requirements. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess that's where the whole lawyer identity comes from. It's like everything comes down to the minute and it's just like woven into whatever you do with your day is like, oh, I need to get these hours in. Yes. Um, and it's almost like who we are becomes wrapped up in this lawyer identity. Um, and I, I want to touch a little bit more on this lawyer identity topic because I think it's quite an interesting <laughs> phenomenon. Um, and I want to ask you why, why you think that it, it becomes such an important part of our identity that we are lawyers or law students or attorneys, judges, whatever our titles are. Yeah, I think there's multiple factors. And part of it is that uh, the people that are drawn to the profession are high achievers. You know, I think that a lot of times it's people that have um, always been at the top of their class or always, you know, loved learning and growing and developing. And so getting them into an environment where they are surrounded by other people who are equally as ambitious, if not more, um, is challenging. Sometimes that's the first time that, you know, people are in those environments because I don't know about you, but going high school and college, you kind of knew like who the kids, they called them the nerds back then, but like who really Over here. Liked, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. And you could kind of pick out like, okay, who really enjoys the process of learning and being like immersed in, in the learning process. And when you get to law school, everyone is, I mean, you know, I'm generalizing, but you're, you're incentivized to do it. You're graded according to your peers. Um, you know who's getting the job opportunities because you see them all like suited up in class, ready for interviews. It's very much apparent who's who's really reaching the way to the top. And so 
it starts in law school. Um, but before that, but it's really cultivated that competition and kind of measuring ourselves according to our peers. And so that's part of it is you have high achievers. I think the other part is that you have the ability to unify the individual experiences of people by a professional identity. So for instance, me coming from a background where my mom had me as a senior in high school and being able to be in a classroom setting and learning the same things as the son or daughter of a judge, you know, a prominent judge in the community. So we're all in this class together. We're going to graduate together. We're going to be a part of the same community. And so people, for people that are very aspirational and people that really want to um, not let their past circumstances define who they are and where they're going, professional identity is major. It's a way to almost lessen out and bleach out kind of what your background was in favor of this overarching aspirational identity. And I think it's a beautiful idea because you want to, everyone wants connection and community. But I think what, where I've seen the challenge come in is where you have people that do really have ethnic, social, cultural differences, and they feel like they cannot bring that in to the profession as a lawyer. And so they end up sometimes choosing that lawyer identity over their intersecting identities. And so really leading and being leading forward with, uh, I want to be this lawyer. I'm going to subscribe to everything a lawyer is supposed to be. And I'm not going to be my authentic self. I'm not going to talk about my background. I'm not going to talk about my family dynamics. I'm going to hold it all together and act like everything's perfect because I'm a part of this new community where my background doesn't matter. And I think it can, uh, be beneficial in the beginning, you feel belong, like a sense of belonging. But at the end of the day, in an already grueling and stressful work environment, where you're not able to show up as yourself, that catches up with you. And I found that for me, I was not fulfilled by practicing in a way where I was subscribing to that lawyer identity over my, my identity of who I am individually as well. All, you know, being a woman, a woman of color, you know, all those things, like being able to bring that to the table was more fulfilling when I finally started showing up authentically. Yeah. Yeah. And that is um, something I think is so important to talk about, um, that we have these many other sides or identities than just being lawyers. Like, as you said, we can be moms or friends or partners or from a specific community or background where we come from. Um, and sometimes it feels like we can't share the side of ourselves in a work context. It's it's almost like yeah. we have to put on this lawyer mask when we go to work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm curious to know, why do you think it has come to this? Because I'm sure it's not something that came around when we started practicing. It's been like this for for many years. It's part of the tradition and the lineage of lawyers. But where did we lose ourselves in this process? You know, I I do agree with you. I think it was starting to come into existence before you and I started practicing. And I think it's a function of the way that people got work and generated business. The practice used to really be about how are we achieving outcomes for our clients and really focusing on that so that if you lost the case and it went to another lawyer and the client was happy about it, that's fine because at the end of the day, we're improving, you know, the experiences of the people we serve. And I think somewhere along the way, there was a breakdown in trust because there's this kind of um, competition to in generating business, and there's there's this scarcity mindset that there wasn't enough work to go around. And then in turn, you have coworkers and, and colleagues competing with one another and really focusing on that rather than, okay, how are we building harmony within our legal community? And so by having that focus and that lack of trust, people don't want to, you know, there's no, there's no incentive to share because it's going to be used against you in the future, right? So if you're in a, in a law firm setting, I know, you know, sometimes I worked with people, they were having mental health challenges or going through something where they had to care for a loved one 
um, or maybe, you know, having issues with substance abuse and really feeling like they couldn't share it with their employer because, you know, if someone knows that, then all of a sudden, you know, cases are getting pulled away from you. Opportunities are being taken away from you. Um, you're not, you're no longer on that track for advancement, even if someone doesn't tell you that. <laughs> You're, you're naturally, um, the opportunities start drying up for you. So there's that incentive to keep that mask on, to not share what you're really going through and to really keep it all together. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself uh, with where you're working and the work you're getting. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, but I do think that one of the benefits we've seen coming out of the pandemic is this return to seeing what people are going through we had no choice, right? We do depositions and meetings by Zoom. People had their kids or dogs in the background. Something's getting delivered. We had no, we had no control over what our coworkers and colleagues got to see about our lives. I loved it personally. I thought it was so much fun to see people being lawyer humans, seeing them say, look, I need to go check and make sure my kid is on online for class. It was so much fun, you know, and I love that connectivity. And I think coming out of that, I've seen personally in the lawyers I've interacted with, there's more of this desire to strip away all of the pretenses and to really just connect on a human level. So in that way, the pandemic was a blessing, you know, not the the other drawbacks, but the connection piece that it brought to the profession, um, I thought was, you know, invaluable. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a beautiful description. And I, I totally feel the same. My next question was actually how we can bring some humanity back into the legal profession. And I think you already <laughs> touched beautifully on that, because I totally agree. I remember when I when I started working from home in 2020 with the pandemic, I could hear a dog barking in the background when I was speaking on the phone with my partner. And I was like, wait a moment, do you have a dog? And I had worked for him for almost three years and I didn't know he had a dog. And it was like, exactly. suddenly he also became that human. I was like, well, he need to walk his dog in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I know. Isn't that fascinating? Just that one opportunity to get a, a, a peek into someone's life and to realize it provides so much context around the way you interact with that person. Yeah. So I thought it was fascinating. But yeah, so true. Barking totally. dogs, my dog was just the same. Anytime UPS came to deliver or, or Amazon, <laughs> same time every day, I'd have to mute the, my microphone and apologize. But it was, I, I still had a lot of fun. I felt like that was probably the most fun I had practicing was uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, that that's interesting because I think you always hear people just talking about the pandemic as if it was the worst time like of course if mm -hmm. you had um loved ones or yourself went through illness and had to go to the hospital yeah. and all these things of course that's awful but from the mm -hmm. whole of like I need to get my everyday life up and running sitting from home and just working I mean they would have to drag me out of my home office and into the, <laughs> to the real office it was it worked so well for me and I, I've been thinking about this a lot and I think that maybe it's because that most of the people that really enjoyed home office during pandemic Uh, all the introverts like me and probably like you as well and we don't shout it to the roofs like the extroverts going like oh home office is horrible let's get back into the offices so we can connect and talk to each other and I mean for me plenty to be on this online weekly catch-up and be like okay colleague she's still out there somewhere in cyberspace good I'll retrieve to my cave and my <laughs> my slippers and just get this contract done but that's the beauty of it we're all different and for some people yeah working from home as much as I do would be the worst life that they could ever imagine. And for me, I, I think I have not been five days in the office since March, 2020, because right. I just figured mm -hmm. it was way too much stimulation for me. Yes, absolutely. And that's funny that you pointed out the um, introvert component, because I think you're right. I, and I, I don't know right now, If I'm an introvert or extrovert, I I used to be more extroverted, believe it or not, before I started practicing. And the last time I did one of the like the Myers Briggs, I was only slightly extroverted, and that was nine years ago. 
So I do believe I probably have gotten more now, even more so introverted. And I, I like you, I find that my energy is revitalized and that I can pour back into myself by having that opportunity to be at home. And, and there's times I definitely crave connection and I'm like, okay, it's time to get out. And I, I do want to connect. But like you even said, we can connect in a, in a multitude of ways. We're connecting right now, you know, doing this uh, recording, this podcast. So it's all in the quality of the way that you show up when you interact with people. Uh, because I've been in rooms with hundreds of people and I felt isolated and alone and disconnected because the motives were different. You know, people weren't really trying to connect. They were, we're all in this space, this container together, but we're really not here for a common purpose. We have our individual agendas. And so I think you can take um, connection. It doesn't take, you know, a a bunch of people. It doesn't take you getting outside of the house necessarily, um, but just having quality interactions with people and being intentional in how you want to how you want to, you know, affect someone else's day, you know, being deliberate and saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of funky today. I'm not really in the best mood, I'm kind of spicy, but you know, how is that going to, how is that going to affect Laura if I show up on this call and I'm leading with this, this angst, you know, believe it or not, it's going, it is going to affect you and you'll get off this call and you'll feel kind of weighed down and feel like, oh, that wasn't a positive experience. So I never want, you know, to be that person. And I try to intentionally every day um, be cognizant of the way that I show up so that it doesn't hurt or, or harm someone else. Yeah, that's great. And it's good to be aware of. I, I don't think everyone is aware of that. So it's nice that you mentioned yeah. it for sure. And another benefit that I, I want to add here is um, for me, during the pandemic, I was quite a junior lawyer. I think I had been working one and a half years full-time after graduating law school. So I was still like trying to navigate my way around it. And I always found myself getting really nervous before these client meetings or presentations. Mm -hmm. And then I worked, I've actually had three different jobs while (laughs) during the pandemic and with working from home and everything, one law firm job and two in-house positions. And that's really when I developed as a lawyer and gained a lot of experience. And I've been going through some negotiations, for instance, and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. uh, conflict resolution types meeting that I know I would have never been able to handle it in a room with physical people because it would just be too much on my system. And like if I would have to lead the negotiation or lead the meeting and present if I can do that from the comfort of my own home and have that distance behind the screen, it's so much easier for me to show up as an authority and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it because I can sit here with my notes in front of me and look like someone who's got it together because they can't see my hand shaking and me doing like breath control exercises behind the screen every time I go on mute. But it's something that allowed me to really develop as a lawyer um, from the comfort of my own home instead of throwing myself into physical situations where I know I would have to rush to the bathroom to sort of get myself and my system yeah. under control. Oh, yeah. I'm so, so glad you touched on this because this is the part, Laura, that a lot of attorneys just don't talk about. And that anxiety, that's, I, I experienced a lot of anxiety um, practicing. and. That continued up until the time I stopped practicing. So for my whole 12 years, there was anxiety in different things I did. For me, a big one was depositions. When I was taking a deposition, I didn't sleep well the night before. I would um, I would be really anxious about the idea of me having to command this room for four hours, you know, and really you have, you know, a group of other attorneys that are adverse to you. You have this witness that might not be wanting to really divulge or reveal information. And it can be very intimidating. And so I found, like you said, by having the ability to work from home, I had this, first of all, my room was like my safe haven. I had this calm energy. My walls were gray. Like I was very intentional about the, the atmosphere in my room. So it was very peaceful for me. 
Um, I would sit there with no shoes on. So my feet were, I would keep my feet grounded. That was just a big difference. And you're in some heels in a conference room, right? Um, Maybe I had a jacket on up top, but I'd have some shorts or, you know, yoga pants or leggings on. And during the breaks, I could go down to my kitchen and, you know, get some tea or get, get a snack or just, just have that moment. Talk to, at the time I was living with my family as well. I could talk to my mom. It just really made for me taking depositions so much better. Um, I could strategically focus on what I was doing rather than the anxiety behind it. And so it's so true because I know a lot of lawyers struggle with anxiety and for even the junior attorneys and associates listening, sometimes that it goes, it continues. You know, I felt it for 12 years as a litigator. I took hundreds of depositions. I always still felt nervous around taking them versus defending. So I think that instead of us trying to get caught up on, well, why is this bothering me like this? Just being kind to yourself, practicing that self-compassion and saying, this is where I'm at. What do I need to feel um, psychologically safe and just setting yourself up for success in that, like you said, being home and saying, okay, I, this, I want to do this kind of a meeting. I know it's going to be, it could be uh, a, a little bit of a emotionally depleting or it can be maybe combative. I want to do this meeting at home and I'm going to do it virtually because I know that's what I need to feel empowered in that moment. And it doesn't mean you're going to stay there forever. I think every time that confidence builds, right, when you do these meetings and have those outcomes where you're like, I really did it. Like, yeah, I'm, bad, I'm a badass. <laughs> you know, you're like yes. that cultivates the confidence. And it's those actions that keep us growing and developing. So whatever we have to do to make ourselves feel safe as we're getting to that space, I say keep doing it. I'm so Excellent. glad you talked about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so important. Like for me today, it's so much easier to walk into a physical negotiation because I've had that time to really practice without anybody looking at my hands or looking at how many notes I needed to keep (laughs) my mind clear and calm, you know, and we're all just different and it's a journey. No one walks out of law school knowing how to lead a deposition or a negotiation. These are difficult meetings and you need to be strategic and have yourself put together yes absolutely absolutely that's something and that's that's another reason um I didn't mean to cut you off but that's why I think going back to law school just really trying to set it up so that law students have an idea of the the landscape that they're getting into potentially you know especially in litigation and being told that it's okay like it's okay if you know, you you don't feel like you're advancing or developing in an area compared to other people. Your journey is individual. You have your own unique skill sets and gifts that the other person's looking at you thinking, I wish I could interact and connect with people the way that Laura does. You know, I'm having a hard time building a book of business because I've come off awkward when I talk to people. I don't know how to engage. You know, we all have areas for development and that's why community is important because we can strengthen each other by working together versus kind of siloing off and looking for each other's flaws. Exactly. Yeah, I had um, I had such a hard time finding one attorney who would admit to me that they were nervous before they had to uh, do their mock trial to pass the bar exam as we have to do here in Denmark no one would say to me like how nervous they were and I was walking around feeling ridiculous for fearing this exam for years and now I've made it my duty to speak out loud about it every time on this podcast to make people know that it's completely normal to be freaking nervous before these big days because you've been putting so much work into your education and your journey and you come this Mm -hmm. far and you're like okay it's like everything is at stake right now I need to pass of course you're nervous (laughs) let's talk out loud about that (laughs) absolutely and you know I feel like I've fortunately I've heard some senior lawyers male lawyers that have practiced for decades um be vulnerable and and share some of their experiences and I think that that helps that's an opportunity where mentorship and allyship can really be pivotal in uh, personal and professional development for lawyers. But hearing them say, I remember, I don't remember the name of the attorney, but he argued before the Supreme Court numerous times. 
And he said, and he was very successful at what he did. And he said, every time he had a new, you know, argument in front of the Supreme Court, he was still nervous. And he said, and honestly, I'm grateful for that because that keeps that edge that I need to do a good job. He's like, it, you know, because when you stop being nervous or stop feeling this, um, this desire to really be effective and do what you're doing, you might want to hang it up because maybe you don't need to be practicing anymore. Because at the end of the day, it's about caring. You're, you're caring about really accomplishing and doing a good job. And so I thought that was pivotal. It stuck with me throughout the years to hear a very senior and experienced attorney say, I still get nervous to this day. And that's liberating for us, you know, you know, attorneys that are coming up in the profession to recognize that my nerves now make sense because they're going to probably still be there in 20 years. So let's embrace it and, and rock with it and, and make it work for us instead of hiding it. I totally agree. And I, I think this is... um. <laughs> It's important to touch on because obviously we don't just get there where it's like, okay, I have the right amount of nervousness before I have to go in and, and do some big presentation or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess a lot of people listening to this will be like, okay, I, I get it. It's, it's very good, but wait a moment, because we all know that lawyers are super busy <laughs> and <laughs> probably they don't feel like they have a lot of time to go out there and explore their true authentic uh, side of themselves. Um, right. And something that is cr crucial here is to have that effective self-care approach that really addresses the individual and the personal needs of that law student, law grad, lawyer, attorney, whoever it is, um, you know, like some kind of a routine where we can just effectively manage work challenges and personal challenge at the same time. Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you want to walk us through a day for the average busy lawyer person, whatever it is, <laughs> and what that kind of self-care routine could look like. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, like maybe what you do yourself or how your routine could be modified to fit that average law person and I'm happy to share some of my personal routine as well because I think that's where people can really draw inspiration we're both working full-time you even studying on the side and we have a lot of things mm -hmm. going on but we still manage to find time for these self-care rituals that eventually are going to bring you to that state that you can walk in to whatever meeting it is and have your nerves under control yeah so I I really um focused on getting a personal trainer because I knew I wanted to have that activity and these results, but I didn't have a lot of time. And so I connected with someone where I could have a shorter workout, get to work pretty easily into the office. They were situated around my workspace. So that made me feel really productive by getting that aspect out of the way first thing in the morning. Um, and then for me, a big part of self-care is social connection. So even when I would go into the office, although I didn't need to have the, you know, interactions necessarily throughout the day, I loved going to lunch. Lunch was like one of my favorite opportunities for connection. And so often me and, you know, some of my colleagues would go, it was an opportunity to really decompress we still end up talking about <laughs> practice and some cases and some things, but I noticed that we also were able to be vulnerable and honest and saying, this is stressing me out. I don't know how to handle this particular issue or case. And it always was fascinating to me that in the matter of 30 minutes, you could get two or three different perspectives and walk away with with something there that so you didn't feel alone in in figuring out and navigating um, something that was so overwhelming. And so I found that encouraging to to lean on coworkers and to have the time to connect outside of the work environment. Um, uh, and then also, you know, the opportunity to uh, for me, a big one was spending time with family. I've always been a big proponent of that. And so I like to craft my work schedule around um, making sure I'm not on the road necessarily two hours out of the week or two hours out of the day. So whatever I could do, like I said earlier, if I could work from home a couple of days out of the week um, or set my hours and set the expectations with people around me that I might be coming in at, you know, seven or eight o'clock, but I'm going to be leaving by 
you know, 4 p.m. And, and just really normalizing that and people recognizing um, that, okay, well, if I need to talk to Whitney or interact with Whitney in this workspace, it's going to be, it's going to look a certain way. So it's kind of just showing people like setting those boundaries for yourself, um, going on vacation. Uh, I started getting out of the habit of responding to emails throughout the day. I might check my email, you know, once a day, give a concerted effort to respond to that stuff that was important. And then I go about, you know, my day because it's not realistic to say, you know, just cut off your email. I think most of us that creates a strain and creates more stress where we might want to really be able to stay connected while we're even on vacation, but in a way that's more conducive um, rather than having to be on all the time. So I think that, you know, there's different, different opportunities. I, I liked um, in the evening in particular, I really enjoyed meditating. Um, I was really into, into lighting candles at one point in time. It just really gave me this peace going into the evening. I would incorporate, I know this is like woo-woo for a lot of people, but I, I felt a, a ton of energy shifts and change around the full moon and the new moon. And so I'd be very intentional on taking a cleansing bath and, you know, having certain crystals and just really focusing and reflecting on what I wanted to bring in and what I wanted to let go of and release. And I know it sounds, it's not tangible, but I felt spiritually and emotionally the difference when I would clear out that negativity and really stay, stay grounded in reflection. And uh, for some people, it could be journal writing. I've had periods where I like to do gratitude journals. Um, I, I do that journaling for 10, 15 minutes in the morning before um, really getting into the day. So it, it, it's, it's looked different ways for me, depending on kind of what I needed. But I think you can always take the time. Sometimes work from a coffee shop, um, you know, switching up your scenery, I just think really helps kind of tackle some of the, the grind, the momentum of, um, of the hustle culture and, you know, certain norms that are expected. We can really redefine what works for us and what makes us feel better. Go play golf. Some of my colleagues go play golf, you know, Thursday or Friday afternoons. They end their day, you know, Friday morning and they're done working. And uh, that brings a lot of satisfaction for people. I don't know how to play golf, but <laughs> I would do the same if I did, you know, like just really finding that activity or that or, or that thing that really grounds you and makes you feel better um, holistically. Uh, and that sets apart your, your life as a lawyer so that you can focus on, on yourself and thriving. I love that you have tips going in all sorts of directions there. There's, there's really a tip here for everyone, uh, yes. no matter what stage they're at in their spiritual journey and their self-care journal uh, journey, because this thing with checking emails, uh, whether or not you should do that after work or on your holidays, that's such a practical thing that you can make a decision for yourself what kind of boundaries do I need around my work phone and checking yes. emails all the way to the full moon and the new moon which I'm also <laughs> very much about but I know that yes. when I've been talking to some of my friends who are not into yoga for instance about how <laughs> the female cycle can be uh, like connected to what's going on with the lunar cycle and the moon that look at me like what has happened to you Laura you're crazy so someone hearing this might be like ah girls that's fine but I'm not quite there yet and then it's great that self-care can also be I have boundaries around my work phone it's really as you say taking that self-care routine and making it fit to where you are and what you need at that moment and knowing that you can always add more on top maybe both of us will learn to play golf one day and be like why yes. did I never do that <laughs> But right now we're just obsessed with crystals and the moon. And then that's yes. fine too. <laughs> so true. And, you know, I, I, I'm glad that, because yeah, I can go down that rabbit hole, but I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, self-care, I, I, I really want the takeaway to be that it, we don't have to make it as hard as, as we feel, you know, because for some people feeling like they need to have self-care is one more stressor, right? Like it's one more thing I'm not getting to. And it's, it's no, it's whatever, whatever you need to make yourself feel better. And sometimes it's asking for help, um, you know, maybe getting a housekeeper or, you know, 
just maybe getting your groceries delivered for me, DoorDash and Instacart are major for me. It really helps me um, get through, especially now as an entrepreneur, a lot of my day. And so I'm very transparent with that with people I talk to. I say, look, order the groceries. Like, don't, don't stress about that. You can be in your meetings. You can do what you need to do. And if that's one more thing you're worried about, it's taking away from that um, that care for yourself because you're 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 stressed about it. So self care also involves asking for help. Exactly, and it's I, I love how you tied that up. That it's really about looking at what you already have in your schedule and seeing how can you make it easier for yourself, or how can you set boundaries around that. That's yeah, it's exactly how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're going to start to wrap up here. But before we do, I want to ask you three super quick questions. Are you ready? Yes. Yay. Okay. <laughs> what is uh, one book you would recommend to law students, law grads, and lawyers embarking on their career journey? And it doesn't have to be a law book. Ooh, fun. Okay. Um, I recently read and enjoyed uh, Own Your Weird. I can't recall mm-hmm. the author at this time. But he really talks about uh, in in the way that you do business, he's not a lawyer, um, that you really should stay in your your zone, the area that makes you different. And when you try to adapt and adopt the styles and the the business practices of other people, you're not going to be successful necessarily because that's their way. That's what works for them. And so really tapping into what your weird is and... um, you know, strategically leveraging that will get you so much further in your profession and your career objectives. I love that. It sounds like a book for me. Like everyone tells me I'm super weird, but you know, (laughs) got to use it to your advantage. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) next question. Um, What is your number one tip to deal with a toxic work environment? Uh, I think with a toxic work environment, the best tip is to see if you can recraft, if you can take ownership in, in, in the change. It's really hard to do on the employee or associate level because a lot of times it's from the leadership down. But if you're in a space where maybe you have access to um, someone in leadership, maybe you have a mentor that can be a champion to you, um, presenting some solutions and and in, in doing so, identifying how you can help with those solutions, because no one wants to just hear kind of problems. They want to know, OK, well, how can you own this? So starting there. And sometimes that's enough to make a little bit of a shift, um, not in, you know, not in a pervasively toxic space, but it may be in certain practices. Um, it can really help instrument change or implement change. Now, if that does not work, then really being honest about is this space conducive to, to me and my and my my mental health and my well-being. And I think a lot of people know that deep down. It's just a fear about what does that look like on the other side if I were to pivot. So I think you got to know when to be resilient and try to help with change. But I think you also have to know when it's time to adapt and move on. Totally. Love that. And if you could change one thing about the curriculum in law school, what would you change? I I think I would change, uh, I would like to see more courses on uh, focusing on the building of skill sets that are not the hard lawyer skills. So the soft lawyer skills like communication and um, interpersonal relationships. Um, But like you said, negotiating, like learning how to speak up when you're, you're in a work environment as a lawyer. How do I how do I negotiate to, to capitalize or maximize on, on what I'm asking for to make sure that I feel fulfilled in what I'm doing? So those kinds of courses that focus really on not the lawyering skills necessarily of the, the substantive areas of law, but really human engagement and relationships, I think are going to be you know pivotal for the sustainability of law practice. Yeah. Totally agree. That's what we're all about, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, we cool. are. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share before we finish up here today? Um, you know, I just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity for us to connect, uh, Laura. And 
I want to just be transparent that like even this recording, this this episode is happening because we engage with one another in social media. You know, social media, there's still opportunities to connect in real life with people. It didn't take us much time at all. We we set up set up a meeting, talked for an hour. And, you know, I feel like I now have a lifelong friend. And I, I mean that. And so I just, you know, want to encourage people that, you know, don't be afraid to just reach out to someone. If there's someone you feel like connected to or drawn to, um, really approaching it from that way of, I just love your energy, not what you can do for me, but I, I just love being in your space. I think it's going to foster more of that connectivity and really get us feeling more um, connected as a community. And that's important. Sure. Yeah. I, I've met so many beautiful people uh, on social media since I started this journey. And I was always really anonymous on social media before this. So it's it's just so nice to see because you always hear about how social media is this toxic ne negative space but if you find mm. yourself in that little positive corner with the other yes. human lawyers that want to change things <laughs> then it's going to be a really nice place to be so I totally agree please reach out and send a message even if you're listening to this episode and you're like oh I kind of like what they said here or there I've done that recently to other podcast hosts where yes. I've listened to their episodes because I know how much it means when uh, like after I've started this podcast you put a lot of work into it so getting a message from someone who listened and hearing what resonated with them yes. that's big like that's it, it could save an entire day actually it <laughs> it's can. that simple it's it's so important I'm a, I'm a big proponent of feedback and getting you know generating knowledge and, and information and so to the extent that people want to reach out, I, I always encourage that as well. Let us know what, what resonated with you and, you know, what you want to hear talked about more in, in the legal community. Yeah. And on that note, if someone would like to check out what you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at the self-coached lawyer. My website is also theselfcoachlawyer.com. And then I also do a lot of talk on LinkedIn. And I'm excited to see how innovative and engaging LinkedIn is becoming around these really modern ideas and discourse. So you can find me there as well. Awesome. Thank you, Whitney, for being a guest on the Hatha Yoga podcast. And to anyone out there listening to our conversation, thank you so much for listening. As you know, this podcast is a totally independent production. I'm a one-woman band, so every little bit of support from you truly means so much to me. And if you're wondering how you can support the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcast, subscribe to the show, or share it with someone you love in the real world or in cyberspace. That would mean the world. You're also more than welcome to send me a message and tell me about your journey. I would love to hear from you. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Whitney. Thank you, Laura.